this is episode 233 of Alohomora for November 25th, 2017. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Alohomora. I am Eric Skull. I'm Beth Warsaw. And I am Katie Carty Hiley. And we have a super special guest with us today, Mr. Josh DeLioncourt, whom I have been podcasting with for over a decade at this point. <laughs> really um, a long time. Really, really long time. Who's also a massive Harry Potter fan, which is not what we used to podcast about. But I'm going to let him introduce himself to all of you. Um, we'd love to hear like what house you're in, what got you into Potter, um, and any other details about yourself you would like to share. Uh, I am a Ravenclaw, and uh, one of the uh, cool things about that, I always identified with the Ravenclaw house, and uh, <laughs> when I took the uh, little quiz on uh on Pottermore for the house i going through it and getting all of these questions trying to figure out how how on earth do these match up to anything and yet got to the end of it had i thought for sure i was going to be in, the, in a different house nope in ravenclaw so definitely that is <laughs> my house so it's possible you were overthinking it then uh probably like any yeah. good ravenclaw so, would mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh <laughs> Also did the Patronus on there, Black Swan, apparently, and uh, oh, cool, and uh, what's what's the other thing? Oh, the wand, maple, maple wood, heart dragon, heart string, thirteen inches. So there you go. Wait, what's your flexibility? Oh, uh, slightly springy. Damn right. it! <laughs> so. I'm never ever gonna find another brittle. I'm just the weirdo. Oh my gosh, your wand is brittle. Yes, and it drives me crazy. Katie, you you wow. can't go outdoors, Katie. <laughs> You have to, like, protect your wand, okay? I'm a danger to myself and others. I'm sorry, yes. <laughs> Oh, my God. Oh, uh, wow. But you've so, been into Potter for, I think, longer than I have. Uh, Yeah, I started reading the books, I think it was 2002, I believe. Might have been 2001. I can't remember because that long ago all kinds of runs, all kind of runs together. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I uh, I started reading them. Actually, I had to be two thousand two. I think it was just a couple of months after the first movie came out. So, oh, um, around the same time then. Yeah, so uh, read the first one in Braille. I guess I should mention I am uh, blind, like another guest you had recently was as well. No kidding. Um, so I read the first book in Braille, and then got uh, started getting the audiobooks uh, read by Jim Dale here in America, which I'm a huge fan of the uh, audiobooks. I am much, much bigger fan of the books than the films. I enjoy the films, but I kind of view them as just sort of a little extra fun thing, and the books are really, uh, really what I'm into, so. Yeah. Um, awesome. And I have read them more times than any human being probably should, because uh, most, <laughs> most, <laughs> most nights, most nights, I fall asleep to Jim Dale reading random chapters out of all seven books, which are permanently on my iPhone, so... Um, and I've been doing that basically for the last decade. (laughs) So there you go. (laughs) Love it. Wonderful. Yes. Yes. I love it too. And yeah, Josh and I were on Masters Cast together, uh, the Human and She-Ra podcast, which was inspired by MuggleCast. Thank you, Eric. What? (laughs) Human and She-Ra? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, another fantasy Sounds- property. Um, much older than Potter and completely in a different universe, but you know, it's, it's got magic, ele- magical elements in it to be sure. Yeah. So it was not a far jump to be a, f- a fan of that and a fan of Potter. Um, and I, but I remember Josh and I totally geeking out over it back in the day. Um, and we have ever since. So this is super fun having you on Aloha Mora with <laughs> Worlds collide. <laughs> One other uh, Harry Potter related trinket that maybe I'll mention that I've done uh, was another podcast that I did. Uh, it was a book club podcast that I participated on. Uh, a bunch of friends got together and read different things, and, but we were all Harry Potter fans. So uh, for the two years that we did it, uh, each year we put together a uh, Harry Potter sort of trivia um, challenge inspired by the... Uh, other podcast NPR ask me another if you've ever heard that but uh, oh, very similar awesome. to that and uh they made me put it together because no one would play uh, Potter trivia against me so cuz I too many times so I had to host and come up with the questions and everything so it was fun though huh, do you still have any of those uh, old questions of yours uh not handy unfortunately okay okay but the okay. podcast if you want to hear those shows uh, the podcast was called the Blind Blind Spots Book Club, which is it's still out there. So, awesome, Eric! I I did catch that mining for trivia thing that you just did. Uh, thank you, thank you very much. Yeah, I, over on uh, over on another Harry Potter podcast, Mugglecast. I'm in charge of our uh, weekly Quizitch segment. It's a quiz and Quidditch uh, put together that uh, we just do a trivia question and. Um, I've been running short, running a little low on questions lately. So, Well, I, I, I used to run Trivia Eric, and I wrote all my own questions as well. Shout out to McGonagall's Army, my wonderful trivia group from California. And, McGonagall's uh, Army. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Uh, that yeah, awesome. so I, I have a big bank of questions if you ever need any help. <laughs> okay. I will accept all of your help. <laughs> all right. Well, um, let's move into... What we're going to talk about this week, um, we are revisiting a chapter, Prisoner of Azkaban, Chapter 21, Hermione's Secret. Um, and this chapter was chosen by a Twitter poll. So definitely keep an eye out for our Twitter and vote in future polls if you want to help decide what we're going to talk about next. Um, and as always, we recommend that you read the chapter before listening to this episode. And also, because we have talked about this chapter before, you should go back and listen to episode 33, back from June of 2013, where we um, talked about this episode. And Eric, you actually were on this episode then. Oh, great. Uh, this is super <laughs> funny. I had actually, I think I just joined the show for Prisoner of Azkaban book reading. And um, it, I had only done, I was only in like, five or six chapters of POA, but I'm going to apologize because if you listen to chapter uh, or to episode 33, which is actually 200 episodes ago, exactly. How cool is oh that? My God. That's wow. pretty neat. 33 and now 233. So 200 episodes. Oh God, we're old. I'm old. <laughs> um, to, to listen to it. I apologize if I bring up some of my same favorite things about this chapter again, but um, <laughs> I have a feeling you. we'll be saying, all new things about this chapter since so much has happened to Harry and to all of us since then. Um, but if I do repeat myself a little bit, I do apologize. Well, I was just, I was just re-listening to the episode and, um, Katie pointed this out as well that you were just punching plot holes in everything. 
all oh, really? Your, you guys turned this chapter into Swiss cheese. It's ridiculous. Oh, it's hilarious. Man. I wasn't. Oh, good. That's, you know, that, that, that I, I feel comfortable because I wasn't planning on doing that this time. So. Good. <laughs> I actually brought points to discuss. Yes. Yeah. We, we'll have Love new it. stuff to talk about it a lot. But that is a fun episode if you really want to think about how things could have gone differently. And Josh has something to bring up about that later as well. Um, but yeah, we'll bring, we'll bring some new things to the table this time around. Real quickly, it's time to mention that this episode of Alohomora has been brought to you by HelloFresh. Visit HelloFresh.com and use promo code Alohomora30 to save $30 off your first week of deliveries. Also, this holiday season, HelloFresh does the shopping, planning, and delivery, so all you have to do is hustle, bustle, and enjoy. We thank HelloFresh for their support of Alohomora. And now it's time to mention our patron sponsor. Patreon.com slash Alohomora is the web address. And we have to thank this week Nikola Poplowski for becoming a patron of ours. And you, like Nikola, can become a sponsor for as little as $1 a month and there are perks listed over on our Patreon, which we will link you to at the bottom of the show. But we do continue to release exclusive tidbits for all of our patrons and sponsors, in addition to mentioning them at the top and bottom of every show. Definitely check out the Alomora, uh Patreon. It's a great way to support the show and, of course, um, get some little extra special sneak peeks and tidbits and special features. Thank you, Nicola. We love you. Thank you, Nicola. You're awesome. Three turns should do it. Chapter revisit. Prisoner of Azkaban. Chapter 21. Hermione's Secret. So here we go. Chapter 21. Prisoner of Azkaban. I'm going to give you a little summary, and then we're going to get into it. Hit us with it. Okay. Snape tries to convince everyone that Harry and his crew are confunded, while Harry and Hermione slowly come out of their unconscious daze to realize that Sirius is still in danger. After attempting to convince an already convinced Dumbledore of Sirius's innocence, Dumbledore gives Hermione a cryptic message suggesting that they can save two lives if they play their cards right. Hermione uses her time-turner that she's been using all year to attend extra classes to take herself and Harry back in time. They relive the last three hours and are able to snatch multiple souls from death's grasp. Dun, Love it. Dun, dun. <laughs> so we've got several quotes that we're going to want to make points about, and I figure we'll just go in order of how they appear in the chapter and then, obviously, we'll throw in other points as they come along. Um, but the first one is one that Josh actually brought up. And this is between Snape and Fudge. Uh, the quote is, Black had bewitched them. I saw it immediately. A confundus charm, to judge by their behavior. They seemed to think there was a possibility he was innocent. They weren't responsible for their actions. On the other hand... Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> And so I just I love this. Yeah, I love I love this sort of window into Snape's thinking because we're we are seeing him, uh, I think, anyway, and in, sort of internally conflicted. Right. He hates Sirius to the nth degree. Uh, he wants to pile as much uh, onto him, much blame onto him as possible. But he can't, just can't resist trying to get Harry and company into trouble as well. Uh, and he 
I just I feel like he's uh, there's a little bit of a conflict going on there where he can't can't quite make up his mind which one is more important to him. <laughs> oh my god, Snape has never been worse, and he never will be worse than he is right now. I'll say it. Uh, reading this chapter again before we recorded tonight, I'm I'm convinced he he's never ever ever been worse. Really? Even like threatening to poison Neville's toad wasn't worse. Nope, it was absolutely not. Because here is a chance for, like, all that's necessary for evil to prosper is for good men to do nothing, right? Mm -hmm. Snape is just, like, not hearing it. He's letting his childish grudge and his lack of empathy for the children and Sirius uh, cloud and completely obstruct justice in this case. He's gloating, and he's never been uglier. I agree with you. I so agree. Sorry, go ahead. I was just thinking in my head, oh, yeah, the consequence of him being so horrible right now was the potential of someone dying. So, yeah, I would agree. He's better than Neville's toad shrinking. I mean, that would have been that was sad. That was a sad moment. But, yeah, he's he's never been worse. And, um, you know, the interesting thing is that Harry basically is hearing this and it's it's absolutely amazing. Right. Reading it. um, Kind of you just kind of like you you as the reader intuit sort of that this conversation is happening in the distance and Harry is overhearing it and it's it's said that he's like sluggish to respond the signal like from his ears to his brain is like held up and he can't really respond to it he's sort of in a coma like this is one of those weird um chapters it it's almost as if Harry isn't um as if the story isn't focusing on Harry you know one of those chapters where Harry isn't in the picture at first mm-hmm. and you just get this brilliant like soliloquy from Snape painting out the whole picture about how smart he is and Fudge wants to award him the order of Merlin and all this stuff and it's you get like a rare insight into how people behave when Harry's not in the room because he's actually not in the room he's like he's hearing it from the distance well and I had forgotten just how much Snape has to do in this chapter especially at the beginning um oh, yeah. Because, you know, in the movie, he is, I don't even think he's present at all for this part. Um, And so I had forgotten just how much he had to do here. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's also interesting to me, we see Snape all the time, you know, maybe embellishing things or, or exaggerating about things. But we don't very often see him just straight up being dishonest about how things happened. And I think he knows that the that Harry and Hermione and Ron were not confunded. Um and he's just saying that to get serious and deeper trouble. Um and to discredit Harry and Hermione and um we don't see that particularly often from him. Okay, so the next quote I had in here, um this is Snape talking still um He says, personally, I try and treat him, referring to Harry, like any other student. And any other student would be suspended, at the very least, for leading his friends into such danger. (laughs) And when I read it this time, I was like, oh my god, he's totally trying to get back at Sirius, Remus, and James, like, retroactively, because they never got punished for the prank. So he's Uh trying to punish Harry for what they did years ago. At least it's that's dis- it's despicable how much Snape is trying to to see he he's clearly trying to see how much he can pull off right here. Um, but what I love is that Fudge in his 
in all of his grand incompetence, is unwilling to commit to any sanctions for Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. He says, oh, well, you know, we have a, there's always been sort of a blind spot when it comes to young Harry. Yes, he's just so unsure how to proceed. And, and this is the point where Snape's very obvious vindictiveness does not translate into, you know, him being uh, a concerned teacher or a, you know, I, I think Fudge maybe doesn't know openly that something is up, but Fudge is not willing to really see Harry as as, as a, uh, a bad guy right now. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, he won't there's... until, he won't feel... until Order of the Phoenix. Right. I feel like uh, we're seeing Snape too in this where, despite what, how old must he be at this point, like his late thirties or whatever, he's got mm-hmm. the emotional uh, capacity of like still of the teenager that he was. It seems yeah. like like there's not a lot of uh, not a lot of growing up has happened for Snape in the last twenty ish years. Oh my god, that's a good point, and we just were talking about that with Sirius in a recent episode. Yeah, we were. Oh my god. You're yeah, so right, it, though, because he never moves past his teenage crush on Lily. Well, and if you think about it, this is the one event in his life that he, from this moment in time, sees as possibly going the way that he wants it to. All he has to do is talk for a couple more minutes, and, you know, uh, the, the the executioner has already been dispatched to get a Dementor to suck out Sirius's soul. Mm-hmm. He's about to to win. Snape is about to win against his childhood enemy. Um, the man who foremost was responsible for the prank that Snape, you know, has issues with for, for good reason. Um, so he, uh, he has to be vindictive because he's not, he, he, he hasn't quite gotten what he wants, but he's pretty convinced he's about to. So it's like Christmas came early. <laughs> Do we think so horrible? Sorry. <laughs> do we think that um if Sirius had been given the Dementor's kiss and then Snape had later found out that in at least in this case Sirius had been innocent, do we think that Snape would have felt any remorse for that? No. Nope. I wonder. No. I really don't like I, I know he has felt remorse for other things in his life, but I think they all revolve around Lily. I can't off the top of my head, think of any other time other than perhaps over having to kill Dumbledore, uh, kill Dumbledore even though he did not right. want to. I'm sure he felt remorse after the fact, um, even though it was agreed upon. But I can't see him feeling remorse, anything having to do with Sirius, because he just has this massive blind spot that he just cannot let go of. I appreciate the hypothetical. I If 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 he had gone through with it, if um, if Sirius had his soul sucked out, which we know is not is not undoable um then i would have liked to have seen snape in the end suffer that or worse fate you know it it really would have been unconscionable to do this to harry's godfather um now that we know that he's in the right i mean it's jumping ahead a little bit but when when hermione even tries to say to him you know sir you you weren't there in time to see that that and he just cuts her off yeah, he literally screams at her, like, shut up, yep. girl, basically. Yep. And Fudge yep, yep, is like, hold Whoa. your tongue. Hold your tongue. Yes. You stupid girl. <laughs> yes. Um, well, going on from there, Josh, you had a point about um, where Fudge, in the same conversation, 
um, where he says extraordinary and yet black and hairy and the girl. And, uh, yeah, this was, uh, this, this part more just amuses me. And I, I think it's such a great little teaser for things that we see particularly in the next book, but Snape just two seconds before that has been talking about what happened and he mentions Weasley. And yet when Fudge is asking after everybody, he leaves Ron out. He asks about Black. He asks about Harry. He asks uh, about Hermione. And I feel like this is just another one of those, you know, the Weasley family always sort of being ignored, overshadowed by the rest of the uh, wizarding world, right? We see uh, that happen with Mr. Weasley uh, several times throughout the series. We see that uh, with Percy, even with uh, Crouch constantly calling him Weatherby all the time. It's like <laughs> there's always, and of course, you know, Ron uh, has his fit of jealousy throughout Goblet of Fire, uh, first part of Goblet of Fire when Harry uh, ends up in the tournament. And it's just, it's just an interesting little thing that even though he's just been mentioned, even though they're all three of them are lying there in the beds in the hospital wing that they're standing outside the door of, uh, Fudge doesn't think to ask, uh, include Weasley in what he's asking about. And I just, it just sort of strikes me as amusing and kind of a, a neat little teaser. He's just a little, he's the redheaded stepchild. Nobody loves him. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's interesting. Feel bad for one. <laughs> It's interesting too because we um we know that just a little bit from now Harry and Hermione are going to go off without Ron. Um and so to have Ron left out of this little mention and then also to leave him behind um is an interesting little bit of of storytelling there from from Joe. Yeah. Definitely. Dumbledore is not like uh hey Harry Hermione um you got to wake Ron up. He is essential to my plan right now. Because <laughs> he you, knows you guys, he would botch it up. <laughs> we we should absolutely, we must include young Mr. Weasley. Well, Let's get him up. In in the movie, Hermione apologizes to Ron for leaving him behind, but I don't think she does in the book. I think that no, he's, he's just like, out. He's yeah. knocked out. Yeah. <laughs> Which is probably all the better. Yeah. <laughs> Although in the movie, it is really funny when they come back. But you were just there and, and now you're there. Nobody could be in two places at once, Ron. It's ridiculous. Anyway, <laughs> um, the next quote I took out, uh, I guess this is Snape still. I'm complaining about the kids. It says they were out of bounds at night consorting with a werewolf and a murderer. But it had never really hit me until this moment. Did Fudge already know that Lupin was a werewolf? Because I know the staff did. Like, Dumbledore, it says that Dumbledore told the staff before hiring Lupin, and they were all cool with it, and, you know, were sworn to secrecy, etc. And I know that it was, like, out there because of why he was bitten as a child and his father and that history. So some people knew. But it doesn't sound like a lot of people knew because the students' parents didn't seem to know. They weren't writing in letters, like, why are you letting a werewolf teach my child? So I was mm. a little bit struck by the fact that Fudge was just like, oh, okay. Yeah, no big I, werewolf. I think, I think he does know because, uh, I'm, I'm jumping all over the timeline here, much like this chapter does, but in, <laughs> uh, I believe it's in, uh, Goblet of Fire, uh, uh, Fudge makes, uh, uh, he gets into, it might have been, uh, in Order of the Phoenix. I can't remember which now. But anyway, Fudge is in a, uh, 
discussion with Dumbledore, very heated discussion. And he says, you know, I've always given you free reign. You know, there's not many that would let you hire uh, people like Hagrid and and werewolves and things like he sort of rattles off all these different things. So I think at the very least... He had to, you know, Dumbledore had to have given him the heads up. Maybe, maybe Fudge didn't explicitly give permission, but I think he's he's got to know at this point. I think. Okay. Plus, uh, from Pottermore, Lyle Lupin, Remus's dad, was uh, an expert, uh, and and would you know, sort of a. It would have been, I think, pretty big news uh, that Fudge would would be likely to recall um, that you know tragedy had befallen the son of this famous. Lupin, um, so, you know, given his name, and if Fudge took any Latin classes, um, he should already be <laughs> If anyone in the Wizarding World had taken If anyone Latin in the Wizarding World took Latin classes, they are seers who should be renowned. Um, and also from this quote, um, if they don't believe Sirius is innocent, why do they all seem to believe that Lupin is? Like, in the Shrieking Shack, Snape still doesn't think that Lupin is innocent. He thinks that he's still working with Black and was letting him into the castle all year and all this. Um, In the following chapter, Lupin says, Professor Dumbledore managed to convince Fudge that I was trying to save your lives. But in the context, it seems like they had that conversation later that night. And I could be wrong. Maybe they had already talked about that. Um, But I'm just curious why, if Snape you know, still thinks that Lupin is not innocent. Why is he not sending Dementors out into the woods to look for the werewolf to suck his soul out too? I don't, do, do Dementors work on werewolves? Like, I don't, I, I it's, it is, you're right. It's unclear. It's sort of a blind spot about what the word on the street is about Remus right now. Yeah. I expect that when Lupin came back from the forest, that he may have been detained. Um, or questioned, or, you know, even just spoken to by Fudge. Um, but since Sirius was already, you know, I, they call him convicted. I don't, he can't really have been convicted because he didn't have a trial, but you know what I mean. He was already yeah. convicted of committing crimes um, and escaped, which is another crime. And so I think that's why he was the focus of the kiss and Lupin still... I'm sure they would have wanted to do some investigation, but he wasn't like just straight to the Dementor's kiss type of situation. Okay. Right. That makes sense. And last point about this, I'm just trying to figure out how Fudge got there so quickly because uh, Hermione and Harry are talking about the time as they're going through this. And there are only 45 minutes between when Snape lifts Sirius and the rest onto the stretchers back to the castle and when Harry and Hermione get back from their time traveling. So basically was when they're F- waking up. Was Fudge not already there he for was, that yeah. execution? Oh, God, you're right. You're right. My bad. Completely so, forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, Fudge. It's, it happens later in this chapter, but it also happened earlier. <laughs> yes. And not, not only that, but they, they run into Fudge early in the day with the committee member uh, when they're going back into the castle. It's like at two in the afternoon or whatever. Uh, um, yeah. And they're, they're, uh, they have a little conversation on the steps. So, um, okay. yeah, he's been there. He's been at Hogwarts maybe, all day. Maybe basically. Fudge has been working out. You know, he's got a step tracker. <laughs> he's got to make his steps and he's picked up a, picked up a pace a little bit. 
I just completely forgot he was already there. That oh my god! And I reread what? like all the chapters surrounding this one. I have no idea. Definitely didn't why. make that joke on episode thirty-three, so I feel pretty happy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Katie. Thank you, Katie. You're welcome. You can laugh at my expense this time. It's all good. Yeah. So okay, Josh, back to you. Um, a paragraph or two later, you made a note. It says, "In the bed to his right lay Hermione." Moonlight was falling across her bed. Her eyes were open, too. She looked petrified. I I love this um, because as I, I write as well, um, and anytime you can do something, this this sort of uh, fun, this is like the holy grail when you're writing a scene. So I love I love the way that Joe put this together. So we're we're starting this chapter, this chapter where. Ron has been taken out of commission and Harry and Hermione are going to go off and, and take care of things. This is the reverse of what we had at the end of the previous book in Chamber of Secrets when Hermione's taken out, Harry and Ron go off and they go off because Hermione is literally petrified in that book. So kind of kicking this this reversal off. She's kind of just doing this nice little subtle thing uh, to kind of plant the uh, that idea back in, I think. I mean... Uh, I, I just I think it's just such a fun, uh, neat little way to introduce what's about to uh, to go down. And I mean, in the same place, right? Harry and Ron first see Hermione in uh, petrified in the hospital wing, and here they are in the same place and using a descript descriptor, uh, but in a different different context. And it, it's, it's very cool. This very is cool. much more blatant than Joe usually does, and I don't even mind because I love it so much. Well, oh yeah, it, and it works. It works on its own. It's like, oh well, of course she's petrified. She realizes the stakes, as so few do right now, that serious and innocent man is about to have his soul sucked out. Yeah, and Beth, I'd you be call it blatant. I never picked up on it before. <laughs> I oh, it's was so like, subtle. Oh my it's god, so that's so amazing. Oh. Well, when when she writes that Hermione was looking petrified, I'm just sort of like, hey, <laughs> hey. Oblivious Katie over here was just like, okay, right, she's scared. <laughs> awesome. And okay, next quote from Snape to Dumbledore. Uh, Josh, you had something to say on this one too. Uh, Snape is saying, and does my evidence count for nothing? Snarled Snape. Peter Pettigrew was not in the shrieking shack, nor did I see any sign of him on the grounds. Okay, so this uh, loops kind of back around to a little bit about what we were talking about uh, previously, just the vindictiveness of Snape in this chapter and, and how it's sort of unmatched uh, from anywhere else in the series. But mm. one one thing that I think it's interesting, and I kind of want to see what, what your guys' take is on this, Snape, uh, w you know, we find out later, Snape was a Death Eater. Um, he po continued posing as a Death Eater, working as double agent for Dumbledore. He knew the identities of many, if not most, or all of the other Death Eaters, right? He knows Karkaroff was a Death Eater. Um, he knows uh, Ma uh, Lucius Malfoy is a Death Eater. So uh, he he knows a lot of their identities. He's got to know that Sirius wasn't a Death Eater. He's got to know that he was innocent. He's got to know that Peter Pettigrew was a Death Eater. He's got to know that even if he's not sure... All he's got to do is look at Sirius's arm and see if there's a dark mark and he'll know what for sure uh, whether well, he's a death okay. So it's like yeah. he's got to know. And yet none of this, the thing about the dark mark, the thing that he probably knows that Sirius isn't a death eater, 
he never conveys any of that at any point in the last like 16 years to Dumbledore. And I just think that that is such a step beyond the vindictiveness that we see from Snape anywhere else in this series. It's quite amazing. Yeah, I thought he really hated James the worst, but I'm not so sure anymore. <laughs> I think Sirius might have been his number one nemesis, or at yeah, least on par. I think par. That's, that's probably pretty accurate. I will say, regarding whether Snape knew that Wormtail was a Death Eater, or whether he knew that Sirius wasn't a Death Eater, I think the Dark Lord would prefer to keep that card real close to his chest, uh, the fact that Wormtail, who is one of the Potter's closest allies, is secretly and cowardly providing info. I don't think Voldemort would have paraded that fact around versus in Goblet of Fire at the end when Wormtail, you know, has been victorious at restoring Voldemort. He absolutely, Wormtail is front and center for all of the praise as being the best Death Eater ever. Wormtail would not, and, and up until the point where he had betrayed the Potters by spilling his secret, he had not been useful or worthy of any of Voldemort's praise, so none of the other Death Eaters would have really known that Wormtail was even in the picture. Hold on, though, because maybe this is me, maybe I'm totally wrong, but I never got the impression that Wormtail was a Death Eater until um he helped Voldemort come back to life, basically. I right. I got the impression that he, you know, was seeking out power and took the opportunity to give up the Potters to gain some power, but I never got the impression that he was working for Voldemort before that happened. Am I, like, totally off base? He was working for him because Sirius says he had been feeding him info for at least, like, a year before this happened, but I'm not sure he was an official, like... Dark Mark tattooed Death Eater. I think he was like more canonized. Spy. Well, he had yeah. he had to be eventually because in as soon as Voldemort's restored to his body, he uses Wormtail's Dark Mark to oh, summon the other Death Eaters. Others. Yeah, uh... dang, good point. Well, yeah. So I totally, I totally think he became a Death Eater by then. I just never thought he was a Death Eater all the way this early. Gosh, now I'm um, really curious what yeah, happened. But because, I don't think Voldemort would have been strong enough to give him the dark mark when he was in baby form. No. Hmm, yeah, so he must have had it from before. But he spent most of his life as a rat, so it's not like, you know, he has this very visible to scabbers. Have any tattoos? <laughs> that would be hysterical. This tiny, tiny, tiny little dark tiny mark. Tiny tattoo on his little right well, above his little missing missing toe. Little, little tattoo. <laughs> Um, it's just covered up by fur. So it's a good question, it. but but yeah, and 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 so for Sirius though, this is this speaks to how close Snape wants to get right to to Sirius, and he is blinded by his hatred, and he does not wish to check the you know his forearm for it just wouldn't be he would make up so many excuses as to why Sirius doesn't have the tattoo mm -hmm. that is very little like so to be covert with the Potters for instance who surely in close proximity would have noticed Sirius's tattoo so there's an excuse there's an argument for Sirius never being given the dark mark um even though he could have been serving Voldemort or could have been a death eater I wonder too like I'm blaming a lot of this hatred on the prank but 
if Snape thought all along that Sirius was the secret keeper and he's the one that gave up the Potters, he could also be putting a whole lot of hatred on Sirius for Lily's death. It's true. So maybe that's something else to... to I mean, he's just got to look in a mirror for that, you know, hatred. Right? But, Thank you. Yeah. But Sirius was the stopgap, you know, yeah. or, or Pettigrew was the stopgap. And it's true, like, it's unclear... What I want to know, like in terms of uh, behind the scenes stuff, is if I had, could could choose a chapter to read that was never published, it would be Dumbledore's conversation with Sirius, um, the one that's happening off screen right now as Snape is talking with Fudge mm. right before Dumbledore bursts in, um, and Snape has his line about evidence. You know, I want to know what they're talking about because Sirius is clearly able to persuade Dumbledore uh, about what the truth is. And I also want to read the the chapter where it's like Dumbledore giving evidence for, you know, against Sirius uh, way back when, yeah. when the street was blown up, how there seemingly was not a conversation that took place between Sirius and Dumbledore then, where Sirius could have professed his innocence and frankly saved a lot of time and pain for everybody. If he had, if he had, uh, you know, professed that, that, that Pettigrew was alive and, that, you know, the Potters had changed their Secret Keeper instance, you know, he could have, I think, confided that in Dumbledore, and maybe maybe Dumbledore would have believed him. It doesn't even seem like Sirius even tried, from what we know back then. He didn't get a chance. So, they just threw him in Azkaban. Yeah, but he had a trial. No, um, Sirius didn't. Yeah, Sirius did not have a trial. Sirius didn't have a trial? No. He was sentenced to Azkaban without a trial. He tells them that in book four in the cave, uh, when but, they're talking about Crouch. But in this very chapter, Dumbledore says that he gave evidence which uh, that Sirius Black was the Potter's secret keeper. Yeah, he gave that evidence, was the impression meaning, he at, was at, under. At... That was the bluff. What? That was the bluff. They used Peter as a bluff. He's that's in one of the chapters surrounding this one. Um, no, I'm saying where, where, and when would Dumbledore have given evidence if there wasn't a trial? To I, mean, I, I, I was, was thinking like, to Crouch oh. specifically, uh, not, yeah, well, not to, in a formal trial. Yeah, interesting. Um, okay. So kind of connected to all of that as well. Uh, just an interesting little thing. You were talking about the wanting the unwritten chapter between Dumbledore and Sirius. And in, in my own sort of, uh, I don't know, head canon or whatever of my own uh, in thinking about what would have gone in. what Because we're talking about a very, very short period of time that Sirius was able to convince Dumbledore and get him on his side. Right. Like minutes yeah. is what we've got mm -hmm. here, essentially. Um, and I always wondered if maybe, uh, that was all done in my imagination anyway, with the pensive that Sirius just offers up all of his memories, dumps it in the pensive and Dumbledore gets to see exactly what actually happened. And I think that's kind of a, a fun way to, to get it out of the way quickly, to convince Dumbledore yeah. quickly, something that's essentially irrefutable. You know, I was thinking about that. I was thinking about, well, why couldn't Harry or Hermione dump their memories? Be like, here, fudge, take these, you know, uh, in a vial and he takes them. But Snape would make the same case that these memories have been tampered with, that because they were confuddled or befuddled or whatever it is, right. that serious, like their memories will be unreliable or somehow inadmissible based on the dark magic that Sirius was conjuring. Right. Yeah. Yep. Grr. <laughs> well, it's interesting it's... to me, too. I mean, yeah, maybe he just didn't know about what was going on with Peter and Sirius back in the day. So that's why he didn't tell Voldemort. Um, but he knew 
from the age of 16, roundabout, that Lupin was a werewolf, and he never told the Death Eaters or Voldemort that, which I find yeah. interesting, because he hated him, too. I mean, not as much, but he still hated Lupin and had a grudge against him. So I think... Maybe. Well, at that that was a promise to Dumbledore, right? Not to tell. It was. About Lupin. I'm just surprised that he kept it, I guess, after school. Um, yeah. So it's like every once in a while he does this little redeeming thing and then he goes and does this. That's not a redeeming thing. That's a self-preservation thing. <laughs> well, how would telling telling them that Lupin was a werewolf not... Wait, I'm confused. Well, because nobody wants to face Dumbledore's ire. Oh. And... And uh, it wasn't too long until they were after school that Snape needed Dumbledore's help in a very huge way because he messed up. Good point. So I don't I don't think that much time elapsed where he would have been able to spread the word, and and Lupin himself would have probably gone in hiding or something. Yeah, I, yeah. I guess he was. We don't really hear what he was doing when the Potters were hiding. Yeah, I also think Snape usually only gave up information that he thought would, you know, get him something in return that would um, put him in better graces or something. And I don't really know what he would have gotten out of revealing this piece of information. Maybe he was sitting on it until it, you know, became helpful. Yeah, good point. And also we found out here when the prank happened. Because we've been talking about this prank a bunch lately in relation to Sirius, but we weren't sure when it happened. Um, mm. And Snape actually says here, Sirius Black showed he was capable of murder at the age of 16. So there, there we go. And go. his birthday is at the beginning of November. So my guess would be this happened in their fifth year, but it could have happened at the beginning of their sixth. But probably fifth is what I'm going with. So wait, you said it happened in November? No, no Sirius's birthday. birthday is in November. Oh, okay. So if Snape was correct about his age, he may have been guessing around. But he just he says sixteen, so we're taking him at his word. So if he was actually sixteen, then it would have been yeah between November of his fifth year and November of his sixth year. Interesting. So there. I just wanted to So we've think. narrowed it down. And I think we've one of our commenters actually left that in the comments after the serious episode, but I wanted to throw that in there just because I thought it was interesting. Pretty cool. Well, the we've we've answered that question, but we've opened up another unanswered question. Josh, you you pointed this out and I am like totally baffled that I've never realized this before that the time turner transports them to the to the uh, entrance hall. Entrance hall. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. That's weird. Yep, that's weird. It makes no sense, and it doesn't even match up what has happened earlier in the book. Because when Hermione uses it in other points in the book, and they see her showing up in places she shouldn't or disappearing from where, where she is, it it seems to work out that she's not transporting anywhere. Plus, in the middle of a school day, I think people are going to notice if Hermione suddenly appears uh, in the middle of the entrance hall, right? Like, yeah, So it's yeah. like, it doesn't make any sense at all why it just this one time it uh, <laughs> yeah. it's transporting them. Yeah. And this, is, this is one of the most uh, jarring mistakes or shortcuts that J.K. Rowling's taken, I think, in the writing. 
Yeah, it's super weird. And I never noticed it either. I've watched the movie so many times that that's just what was in my head, that that's how it happened. And then I read this and I'm like, wait a minute. Oh my God, he's right. But then in the movie, they kind of perpetuate this because she kind of just appears in divination class and Ron's like, where'd you come from? You weren't there a second ago. When I don't think that happens that way in the book. Um, Really, it would have taken an extra paragraph to say, they were in the hospital wing, but the sunlight was brighter on the windowsill. And Hermione was like, come on. And then they ran down. And then they were in the entrance hall. Yeah. So weird. Yeah. It's very It, it definitely, yeah, given given the very, very closely guarded rules of time travel that Hermione is very desperate to express to Harry and make sure he understands fully, don't be seen, don't let yourself see yourself, all these rules. Yeah, appearing in the middle of the entrance hall in broad daylight, <laughs> really for any reason. Uh, is a much less safe position than wherever you're coming from. Unless it has some kind of magic that puts you in a place where it knows nobody is around. But that's certainly never stated, so... Well, they had a quick run into a closet real quick because they themselves were coming, and that's about as dangerous as it gets. Yeah. <laughs> well, that and the time turners at the ministry don't seem to work that way when they uh, when they smash all of the the time turners and the death eater gets his head cut and the thing and all that stuff that's going on doesn't mm-hmm. seem to uh well that death eater's head is now in the hogwarts entrance hall <laughs> <laughs> i love it it's the yeah. giant baby head from phineas and ferb you know where it <laughs> oh came <gosh>. from now. <laughs> that's hysterical well so something else interesting that i noticed about the mechanics of the time turner is that the chain is really long. Um, Hermione has to like dig into her robes to get it out. Um, and then it fits around both hers and Harry's neck seemingly pretty comfortably. And I just found that really interesting because, um, the only reason I can think of for that being the case is that time turners are meant to work with multiple people at one time. Um, and that struck me as kind of odd. What do you guys think? Uh, it does mention that it's a long chain um, and that it's digging into Harry's neck and stuff. So I guess it's, yeah, I don't think, I I think she's probably using it in a way that's not really <laughs> intended for more than one person. It's long enough to fit them for sure. But just but barely, I think. Maybe it's not designed. Yeah, the writing isn't clear. Because I, I get the impression, like, what Beth, what you're saying, like, I get that 100%. Like, it's bigger, and especially in the movie, I think. It's even more ginormous. Like she throws it around a shoulder or something. It's like, <laughs> does your does your time turner necklace uh, chain hang low? Does it wobble to and fro? Kind of thing. <laughs> um, you know, can you tie it in a knot? Uh, it's huge, but I, yeah, I think it's kind of that middle ground where it's sort of like a a decorative necklace chain, and so you could actually like loop it around your own head twice, but. Between the two of them, it's not really designed for two people, but it would fit two people, but barely. Kind of like how the invisibility cloak fits the trio, but only just, you know, and once they grow older, their feet are kind of showing if they don't crouch. Yeah, that was definitely a parallel I drew as well, and the cloak is definitely not meant to fit more than one person at a time. And I've actually kind of been baffled throughout the series at how long it fits them, all three of them. (laughs) Yeah. I do wonder, though, with the chain, because it is supposed to be hidden. Like, nobody is supposed to know she has it. So it would make sense for it to be pretty long so she could stuff it down under her shirt and not be noticeable. 
Because if, if it were just up at her at, at her neck, you know, everybody would see this little. Yeah, thing. yeah, that's true, and it's it's got to be like a one size chain, right? It can't be like she just not like she tailored it to just be hers, you know, because it's kind of like a generic ministry object. Like know, it has though. to also fit Kingsley Shacklebolt and Vernon Dursley, I or bet. not Vernon Dursley. <laughs> uh, <laughs> who am I thinking of? Who's huge and in the ministry? Uh, I don't know Perkins. Anyway, it's got to fit. It's got to fit your average, you know, wizard, grown Slug wizard, and, and Slughorn. Hermione, Slughorn. Thank you, and Hermione's little girl. So, but the ch- no, <laughs> um, I think the chain is interchangeable. I don't think the chain is magical at all. I think it could be on. Oh, the chain is definitely magical. No, because the. Yes. Oh, it has to be. It has to be because the chain is what, um, is, is transported. Like the balance of the chain, like think of it as like a rosary, right? A little beaded rosary chain where like the magic is in the, the, the chain itself. But yeah. I think the, the chain has, has, the chain has to be part of it because that's what she is looping around Harry's neck, right? It's whoever's got it around their neck is who gets transported. So that's very true. Like be... with operation, you can just hold hands and, if that was possible, they probably would have just done that. Um, yeah. So you're right. It must be you have to Hermione's be Hermione's within... always looking for an excuse to hold Harry's hand. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it's just she magically elongated it. I don't know. Yeah, wandly, uh, uh, verbal, nonverbal well, magic. Well, not in that uh, moment necessarily. Maybe she did yeah, that 13-year-old Hermione's year. doing nonverbal spells here. <laughs> <laughs> I won't give her that much credit just yet. <laughs> Yeah, yeah that's well, a good point, though. It, it is a very long chain. <laughs> we got real in the weeds there, guys. <laughs> right? <laughs> that was great. <laughs> well, so... Um, thank you. Uh, you're welcome, listeners, for, for that deep dive on uh, the Time Turner chain. <laughs> what is now your thoughts? <laughs> Once again, it's time to mention that this episode is brought to you by HelloFresh. And this holiday season, HelloFresh does the shopping, planning, and delivery, so all you have to do is hustle and bustle and enjoy. So I recently got a HelloFresh subscription. I selected the vegetarian option and was delighted when my box arrived. I prepared a veggie fatouche salad with crispy chickpeas, za'atar spiced pita, and feta cheese. And I got to tell you guys, I never spent so much time preparing a salad before, but it was worth it. It was absolutely great. The recipe card was very understandable. I'm not much of a cook, but I really loved it. And the greatest thing about it being November, December, uh, is lots of great holiday food. So this season, your HelloFresh kit includes recipe cards with six easy steps to calm the holiday chaos. This means fewer trips to the grocery store because all of the ingredients come fresh, shipped fresh right to you. Less time in the kitchen means more time for family and festivities. With HelloFresh, you can choose your delivery day to keep up with your busy holiday time schedule. I mentioned the delicious veggie fatouche salad that I prepared Here's what you can expect in the line of the holiday menu. Meatloaf a la mom with roasted root vegetables and thyme gravy. Pan-seared scallops with heirloom tomatoes, mashed potatoes, and Meyer lemon. There is a figgy pork tenderloin with green beans and rosemary potatoes. Butternut squash and sage risotto with parmesan and pepitas. And thyme gravy chicken with roasted carrots and cacao e pepe potatoes. We want to remind our listeners that you can visit HelloFresh.com, and when you use promo code ALOHAMORA30, you save $30 off your first week of deliveries. If you're a first-timer, they even send you a HelloFresh apron, which, I have to say, I pull off pretty well. 
I'm looking very forward to avoiding the hustle and bustle of these holidays by choosing HelloFresh. And we'd like to thank HelloFresh for their support of Alohomora. Well, so if if you enjoy it here in the weeds, um, we should talk some more about um, the mechanics of time travel. Um, and Hermione talks some about the rules that Professor McGonagall tells her, especially that you can't let your self see yourself. <laughs> um, yes. So, Katie, I think you had some stuff about that to talk about. Uh, yeah, the one quote I pulled out there was, Professor McGonagall told me what awful things happened when wizards have meddled with time. Loads of them ended up killing their past or future selves by mistake. So this tells us that wizards were not always so cautious when it came to time travel. Um, <laughs> and over the years, they've created a multitude of laws surrounding the time turners uh, to make sure things like this don't happen again. But at the same time, that seems to cause a little bit of an issue. I know with some fans, um, because of the, the specific type of closed loop time travel that's used in this scene, that other types of time travel should not be possible in this same universe. I've seen right. fans argue this. Um, so the fact that some were able to go back and kill themselves, or it's like that shouldn't be possible. And something we can get into later, um, this writing on Pottermore that Joe did about time turners is completely bonkers in re in comparison to how it's used here in Prisoner of Azkaban. So, yeah, it's it's crazy pants is, is what it is. <laughs> I don't think it's necessarily contradictory to uh, to have both ideas, right? Because the the way this is written we're seeing it we're seeing the loop kind of from both ends right they've they're going back to change it but we also saw it from their perspective after it was already changed mm -hmm. so uh there doesn't i don't i don't see a problem they they've put laws in place to prevent paradoxes to prevent uh uh multiple timelines or whatever those kinds of things happening um but we're seeing we're seeing the results of that from both ends of the loop. I think so. I think I don't yeah, think it's the, contradictory. The reason it works is because they end up succeeding at not being seen uh, anywhere they go. Like Dumbledore stresses it, and they are able to enact it perfectly. Um, I think we're meant to believe that you know Buckbeak was always saved, essentially. Yeah, and it's it's really just that somehow Dumbledore picks up on uh, the fact that it was somehow his own agency that caused Buckbeak to be saved. That's the, really the, the biggest thing, uh, the weakest link about this time travel in this chapter seems to be Dumbledore's agency. Um, because everything else is a nearly perfectly closed loop, but Dumbledore takes it upon himself to effect this change by explaining to Hermione that it's got to be her. Um he knows everything that's going on in the in the in the grounds. He knows exactly when he's got to tell McNair to turn around and hold them there longer. You know, Dumbledore has a little bit more knowledge than he should if this were just an ordinary day with time travel involved. But besides that, it 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 works seamlessly. Yeah, I did want to bring up um, Dumbledore's omniscience in this situation um, because. This of almost any other, I think, is the best example of an all-knowing Dumbledore. Um, even so much so that 
he suggests searching the skies instead of the grounds for Buckbeak. Um, <laughs> it just seems way too much to be coincidental. And I've never been a huge fan of the omniscient Dumbledore theory, but this right here, it's hard for me to refute. Well, it helps that he's actually secretly Ron from the future. <laughs> That's my uh, And favorite. Ron, of course, is unconscious. Oh, wait, that doesn't work because Ron is unconscious. Right? He's, in the not end of <laughs> he's not there. Um, well, keeping in mind what, Dum- what Joe said about Dumbledore at one point, which is that the reason Harry gets the impression that Dumbledore can see through the invisibility cloak is because Dumbledore is secretly casting the spell Hominem Revealio uh, non-verbally, and so Harry is, like, glowing to him or oh, something. Oh, wicked. W- whenever you get in a, in a room where Harry's under the cloak and Dumbledore kind of sees him, it's because he's secretly casting that spell. I wonder if Dumbledore was able to do that in the forest and just saw that, you know, just beyond the tree line was Buckbeak, and that was why he was able to say, hmm. Oh, search the skies! <laughs> That's so interesting. I've never heard that before. Me neither. The chin scratcher. Oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that was somewhere on Pottermore. Well, speaking of Pottermore, um, do you guys want to dive into what Pottermore says about time travel? I have it up. If you have it, what does she yeah, say? I'm so interested now. I'm curious. It's insane. Just get ready. We didn't have this the first time. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, she says that um, attempts to travel back further than a few hours have resulted in catastrophic harm to the witch or wizard involved. Um, and then she goes on to talk about um, Eloise Mintumble, um, who became trapped for a period of five days in the year 1402. Um, and that her body had aged five centuries um, in its return to the present and was irreparably damaged, and she died in St. Mungo's. Um, It further goes on to say that um, during her five days in the past, she caused such a disturbance to her life path that uh, all those she met, of all those she met, changing the course of their lives so dramatically that no fewer than 25 of their descendants vanished in the present, having been unborn. So this is our, um, our, you know, big discussion about being able to kill people in the future, <laughs> which is very interesting. Um, yeah, this it, bugs me to know. Yeah, it. yeah. So she comes back, her body has aged five centuries. She, they don't say how long she lasts before she dies, but it couldn't have been long. She's basically dust and bone by that point. How does she get any of this information out? How do they know what year she was in? How do they know which people were unborn? Because only she should know. Like everyone else, they should just have never heard of these people. She should be okay. the only one that knew okay. of them. Okay. Yes. Okay. Okay. To your first question, how do they know what year she was in? Carbon dating. <laughs> All right. Car- <laughs> carbon- <laughs> That's medical science for That's you. That's hilarious. Okay. I don't know the answer to the other questions. What do you think, Josh? Um. Uh, yeah, I don't really have a great answer either. Really. Uh, I don't. I don't. But I don't know that there's necessarily not an explanation. We just don't have. I don't think we have enough information to. To say either way, we don't know if there was uh, 
you know, I mean, could have been a, a legitimate trying to figure out what happened to her. I don't know. Uh, mm. Could have been any number of, of things or, you know, maybe she did. Maybe she did last a little bit uh, long, long enough to tell her story as sort of a warning to to uh, people, because, I mean, let's face it, they've got some pretty weird medical stuff that they can do in the wizarding world. And they could they might have been able to keep her alive for a few hours or even a few days, maybe. Yeah, I mean, she could uh, maybe she mentioned a, a prominent family uh, that, you know, it turns out had never existed. And she's like, oh, well, there's 25 members of that family. And they're like, no, no, they they died a couple hundred, you know, centuries ago. Um, something like that, like being unborn, life paths, that sort of thing. Um, it's the only thing I can think of other than that. But uh, it seems like in both cases, which is actually reassuring, I thought it would be worse. In both Pottermore and the events of this chapter, there appears to be in, in the Wizarding World a non-branching style of like universe like the the choices that you 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 can go back in time and change something but it was already changed you're not creating a new timeline by changing something so like we have a situation where harry and hermione in this chapter appear to change things but the reveal is really that we just had a different sort of incorrect perceptive on or perspective on what actually happened the first time around. Uh, you know, I don't know though, because, okay, I, I kind of see where you're going with that, but, yeah, but Hermione explicitly calls out wizards have gone back and killed their past selves. And the only way for that to actually happen is either creating a massive paradox, which this chapter seems to argue against, or a branching set of timelines. Otherwise, if you if you die in the past, you're not able to go back and kill yourself. So yeah. it's either got to well, be no, a branching. Time if you line. if you kill if you kill your past self, maybe you have to take your past self's place. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's... Well, think about it. If people are only traveling two or three hours in the future or in the past, and you go you barge into a pub and you uh, square off with a duel. Like, and you accidentally kill your past self, or your past self kills your, you know, if your past self kills your future self, it's not a paradox, until, but you might be fated to then go back in time and die, which is weird, but if you kill your past self, you're only three hours younger, so you can just step in your place. Uh, I have a harder, much harder time with that than anything else (laughs) that we've talked about in here. That's, yeah, no. No. The thing that I think is upsetting me the most is uh, what I hadn't even gotten to yet on Pottermore's writing. Um, Pottermore continues to say how the timeline was disturbed by um, Madame Mintumble's um, situation. Oh. And they say that Tuesday, following her reappearance, lasted two and a half full days, whereas Thursday shot by in, in the space of four hours. And the Ministry of Magic had a great deal of trouble covering this up. Um. Yeah. So what? Space time continuum was not happy. For I love thing. that. I love that so hardcore. I will fight this. This is amazing. <laughs> it's like, well, it's it's really because it speaks to wizards being able to harness and humanity. Really, humans do this all the time, right? We're harnessing forces we do not completely understand. Wizards are no better than than muggles at that. You know, we're splitting the atom. We're doing crazy stuff. And it just it just makes sense, right? That uh, a wizard in 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 this case, Madame Mintumble, 
Uh, I want to say Mimbletonia for some reason. <laughs> um, Mintumble, you know, pushed the boundaries. And as a result, the entire universe, like, or at least the planet Earth, was affected in such a way that, you know, Tuesday was two full days. And <laughs> Wednesday was four hours. You know, but like, I, I totally buy that. It's it's like a freak uh freak weather pattern thing. You know, I think I've lived um, through Tuesdays and Wednesdays that went just that way. <laughs> well, yeah, tu- Tuesday, Tuesday. There's two days. Yeah. It's two days. <laughs> yeah, oh, I guess it, it works. I yeah, it hurts my head, but it hurts my head too. I guess yeah, maybe those twenty five people were always destined to be born and then unborn. And that's just the way it was always going to be. It's just, yeah, it's weird. Yeah, there, yeah, there is that question too. Like, how could they have existed in the first place if they are later unborn and there's only one timeline? Yeah, this is why I can't, I can't say that the, this idea of there only being one kind of closed loop type timeline. I just, I don't think that's the case. Well, yeah, but then, then, so the question becomes, who was Her- that? If if you don't believe in a closed loop timeline. Then there must have been somebody that the very first Harry saw across the pond conjuring the stag Patronus, right? It, it, it couldn't have always been Harry. Event, cause the, the reduction level, like it goes back and back and back to where the first time there was only one Harry dying across the lake. Right. And that's, uh, that's why it has to be the branching timelines, right? There has to be a timeline where Harry died on the lake, and then they went back and changed it. And wait, no, in that, I don't like in that it. Timeline, wait, he, he couldn't have gone back himself. He couldn't have gone back and changed it if he was dead. Yeah, right. Well, that's that's because there's this weird thing in this in this uh, universe where you know Star Trek has done the same type of thing, right? Like, yeah, it's the same. This is a common time travel trope. But I think the idea being that, you know, there's multiple timelines where things work out. And in one, maybe in one of those timelines, maybe he didn't die, but he had the chance to go back and change things, whatever. But there's got to be more than one, one, uh, set of, uh, sequence of events for, for these things to work out the way they do. Otherwise, it, there's no way to make it work. There's just the no ad- way to make it work. The idea where, you know, you've got a dimension where, Everything is possible in in a dimension. So, you know, no, when you go I back and change like time, it. you switch like dimensions. <laughs> I, I think now would be now 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 would be an important time to say that this is among my favorite chapters that J.K. Rowling's ever written. And given all of its um, controversy, given all the other questions that we have of it, and you know, if we poked the heck out of the holes in it uh, the first time around, and we're poking holes in it again. I just have to say, reading this it is it brings me some of the greatest joy I've ever experienced reading a Harry Potter book. Yeah, I agree. Like poking holes in this doesn't make me love it any less. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm right on board. Although for me, as much as I enjoy and think the time travel stuff is fun, I I just I love it when we get the interactions between Harry and Hermione. I love Perfect. those. Mm-hmm. I love those, and they're. It doesn't matter where they are in the series. And this is the first one, really, in the series that we get where it's just the two of them uh, doing doing something and interacting with each other and talking. And it's just so good. It's just so good. 
When when he does go off and conjure the Patronus, she runs from the tree line and goes, "What did you do? Yeah, what did you do? What did you do? You know, you said like, you were just keeping like, a oh, lookout. Yeah, but wait, wait, listen, listen, listen. He's like, well, but I told you. And he's like, no, 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 listen, listen, listen. It's fine. I was it's able so to funny. do it because I knew I had already done it. That, does that make sense? I don't know. <laughs> but uh, that's hilarious to me. The girl that's been using it all year, she doesn't get that. Come on. But <laughs> it's perfect. Okay, I okay for me personally. This is just me. Obviously, <laughs> don't agree with me. I like keeping this in a closed loop. Ignore what Professor McGonagall said to Hermione about people killing their past or future selves. Maybe she was just trying to scare her. Let's pretend that never happened and pretend that this Pottermore thing was never written because it may or may not have been written by Joe anyway. It says well, her and name with on cursed it. child in mind. Exactly. That's where I'm going with this. Because mm. if you if you say that all of this craziness can happen in canon Potter, then you're saying that Cursed Child is just as canon, which I will fight anyone <laughs> on. And that's one of my big reasons is because the time travel is so different in Cursed Child. So me personally, I'm going to just pretend McGonagall was exaggerating and that this Pottermore thing either was not written by Joe or doesn't exist or she just messed up whatever <laughs> and i'm gonna pretend this is a closed loop that only happened once and that's just the way it always happened there now i'm happy <laughs> <laughs> but i would love to hear of course from our listeners please leave us some comments um tell us what you think because it's so confusing um but josh you also had an interesting point here um when harry and hermione are in the trees watching all of this happen um, Harry says, if he'd only grabbed the cloak, said Harry, it's just lying there. He turned to Hermione. If I just dashed out now and grabbed it, Snape would never be able to get it. And Harry, we mustn't be seen. Yeah. So, so Hermione, all she cares about is that they're not seen. She's not too worried about the fact that they are screwing with the timeline at this point. And, and so Harry doesn't actually go get the cloak, uh, through all of this. And in fact, he starts to go get it and she stops him. So it just it brought the question to mind. What if at this point Harry had known the summoning charm and could have just asked you a cloak and <laughs> changed everything? And I do wonder, what, where would that have led? Obviously, uh, this would have completely destroyed Katie's beloved time loop, close time loop. But, <laughs> but yeah. it, well. it would have, uh, it would have been made for a really interesting set of circumstances going forward from that point. The, the spell wouldn't have worked. Well, all it is is that, yeah, Snape would not have been able to surprise them. No, right? but he did in exactly. the movie without it, remember? He doesn't actually use it in the movie. He's just hiding yeah, he just behind the door. Yeah, he just bangs on the, yeah. Um, he still yeah, could have so just they... hidden and listened behind the wall i don't know if it would have yeah. made that much of a difference but because we've seen it from the other end where he has the cloak we know that any spell harry could have cast or any attempt he would have made to try and get it would have been thwarted yeah um if you if case, you buy funny. into the closed loop idea yes yeah close loop close loop <laughs> whether it's well yeah whether it's um harry can't find his one or uh, there's like a time lord that comes and physically stops him, <laughs> you know, or like a watcher from Fringe, you know, with the fedora, any any of those guys to like stop the timeline from being interfered with. But in any case, she's luckily right that, you know, seconds later, somebody comes and would have seen them. Although it was just Hagrid, like if Hagrid is drunkenly going up, to, you know, to celebrate 
Beaky's, um, you know, survival, I don't think he would have really minded seeing Hermione and Harry down by the trees. He would have maybe talked to them and drawn more attention to themselves. But in any case, what I mean to say is it's very weird that Hermione is so careful about not being seen. It's very important not to be seen this time. But the rest of the year, she pretty much could be seen because nobody knew what she was up to. And people would have just assumed that she was the same girl they had just seen maybe a couple corridors over. Okay, so... Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you mentioned Hagrid. How much did he have to drink to get drunk in, like, ten minutes? <laughs> I've got to know, because he appears to be sober when the execution's going to happen. There's no yeah. mention of him doing anything. And literally, t- basically ten minutes has happened, if you do the math here, right? They come out of the castle. It's, we know it's about nine o'clock. They come out of the castle, they wait around for a while, they steal, steal Buckbeak, uh, you know, they find Buckbeak gone, uh, Dumbledore asks Hagrid for a drink. So all this is, is happening. And then we, uh, we've got the, uh, them hiding out in the trees for a few more minutes. After this point, uh, if you do the math, there's about an hour and 45 minutes, uh, accounted for of waiting time plus the time of, of sending the Patronus across the lake. So you, Hagrid literally only has 10 minutes to get drunk enough that he's singing and weaving across the, the lawn. I'm just like, I think, I think Hagrid's got a time travel, time turner for his drinking. I think. Maybe. I really do. Or he's got some really strong stuff he's been holding out on. He's got some Romulan ale stuck in there. Some, yeah, oh my yeah, God. yeah, yeah. Some, yeah, but some I mean, IV, uh, drugs. Look, look at the size of the, the tankards he drinks out of at the, at the three broomstick sticks though. I mean, how, yeah. how many of those are we talking? It's, it's really, uh, you he's gotta just got wonder. a barrel. He just sticks his whole H- face Hager's in Hagrid's actually got a jacuzzi. It's underneath his bed and it's just filled with booze. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, but you're right. booze. every time they th- or he- Harry thinks about going and changing something, Hermione pulls him back, and something happens that would have messed everything up. So she's definitely yeah. right to have stopped him every time. It's so it's so smart. When you read it the first time, you just think about how, how tight it all seems, right? Yes. How perfect it all seems. Oh yeah, this was my favorite book for a very long time because of all of this. It's just so yeah. oh beautiful, and I still love it. I do, but Half Blood came along and changed everything. Half-Blood is great. So uh, it is it is a choice between these two, those two for me as well. But yeah, I mean, basically you, you start off, Harry can't move, right? He's in bed. You see Snape getting everything his snivelly little face always wanted. And you feel so helpless. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, part of this, the way through this chapter as these characters are affecting change, they feel helpless and you still feel helpless. But in the end, it all works out. Yep. Perfect. Maybe maybe not in the way it should work out because again, the torture is seeing, you know, Pettigrew escape all over again. Yeah, that's that's really the worst thing. Is and and Hermione's justification for that is not as clear. She's like, "Why well, you want to? How are you going to find a rat in the dark?" Like that's what she says. But really, they could have somehow maybe tried and not pulled Pettigrew out of Harry's pocket until after rescuing Sirius. So they should have just let Buckbeak go free because Buckbeak likes eating rats. He can just go <laughs> hunt him down. He can eat Pettigrew and problem solved. I mean, that's the most frustrating, but it is the most essential part of this plot for keeping the timeline straight. Wormtail, of course, now has to go off and revive Lord Voldemort into his proper body. But yeah, and I mean, that- that's the one thing that I wish you, you just really wish that, that, 
it's not a perfect ending because Sirius Black still has to be on the run, but it's the ending that doesn't mean that two innocents were were killed. Yeah, and it does give that life debt that Peter now has to Harry that comes becomes important in the end. Well, that was a couple chapters ago, right? Yep. No, it's when Harry... Well, I guess you're right. It was a chapter yeah. ago when he spares when he, him. When he doesn't let Remus and Sirius kill him. Yeah, you're right. <sighs> it's all for the plot. It's all for the plot. All for the plot. Um, <laughs> one of our patrons, Marguerite, had a question for us. Uh, do we think that Hermione aged more than usual during this school year because she kept reliving hours of time? Yes. Definitely five centuries. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I didn't do the math because I don't remember how many extra classes she's taking to remember how many hours she's adding to each day. So like it's, it's like three hours a day. Well, um, that's more than that, though, because sometimes she's using the time turner for extra study time as well, right? That's when they find her in the common room and she's missed uh, uh, charms where they did the cheering charms because she lost track of things and she was just studying in the oh you're right so it's way more than just the classes am i the only one who thought in that scene where she falls asleep studying am i the only one who was like hermione just use it to go back in time and take a nap (laughs) right (laughs) i think at that point it's too late right because now (laughs) harry's woken her up and he already knows that she wasn't there so unless you've got the branching timeline <laughs> you can't no. you can't make that work you can't make it work too bad yeah. she doesn't know about no, the I... room of requirement yet it could be a nap room <laughs> that's true that would be a perfect nap room oh man uh yeah hermione basically i think it's pretty funny years later hermione no longer celebrates her birthday on september 19th she's <laughs> oh like she's like done the math and it's secretly <laughs> like it's secretly like May third, you know, or something. <laughs> well, she just randomly, randomly May third, she brings like a little uh, cupcake to Ron, you know, or whatever, and, and he's like, "What's this for?" But he doesn't really ask questions because he just loves the food. <laughs> one, th- one thing that's kind of funny in this too is uh, at this point, so not not only uh, okay, so she's she's already like a year older than uh, Ron and Harry, give or take. Yeah. Um, right. Because she turns 12, like three weeks into their first year. So yeah. whereas Harry just turned 11 a few weeks before the first year starts. So she's already like a year older than they are. Don't... Yeah, she's born the previous November and Harry's in July or September. Or September yeah. And then um, so not only that, then Dumbledore, um, you know, obviously he's rounding off or doesn't care or whatever. But he's like, no one's going to take the word of two 13 year old wizards. So Hermione's already 14 at this point. And actually, <laughs> if she's been taking all these classes with the time return, she's like 15 at this point. So he's like gypped her two years in this little uh, piece of dialogue. Well, take- she, she can't respond to that because she's petrified. Right? <laughs> yeah. Too busy being petrified. Well, take that to all the people who thought it was creepy that she went to the ball with Crumb because there was such an age difference. Nope, there wasn't. Not she as was much. At least a good year older than everyone thinks she was. And that would also explain why she's always so much more mature. I mean, she already. Oh, is, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Does but... that have to be factored into her math for figuring out her new birthday? So she added all this time for the time turner, but she's got to subtract the time that she was petrified in book two. Is that? Ooh. No, <laughs> and it evens out perfectly. <laughs> That's the biggest course correction of the universe. Oh my god. <laughs> 
That's amazing. I you gotta wonder. Wow. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, because because uh, the petrification by the basilisk basilisk seems to be like a sort of stasis, right? You're not eating, yep. you're not breathing, you're not anything. She's you're not just, aging. Yeah, so you're yeah. not aging. Oh my god, you just blew yeah, my mind head again. Cannon, head cannon is still that like her birthday is like September 18th or something. Yeah. Now, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I love it. Um, real quick, I did want to make a few um, comparisons mm. to some other examples we've seen in sci-fi and fantasy with this type of closed loop time travel. Cause this should be good. There aren't many. I, I and Maybe you, um, Eric and Beth, you've thought of some that are not in the doc here. Um, the ones I found and have actually seen, uh, Somewhere in Time, which is a great, great movie. Thank great, you. great, great. I was hoping great one of really, you had really seen good. Oh, yeah, you both seen it. Awesome. So, yeah, listeners, if you have not seen Somewhere in Time, you totally should watch it. It's the best love story of all time. First time I ever watched it. My father and I on a recliner. By the end of it, we were bawling and holding each other. Bawling. Yeah. Absolutely insane. Christopher Reeve, who was Superman, and Jane Seymour, both fantastic. Somewhere in time. (gasps) Highest recommendation on that. Totally. And then not all of Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, but at the end, like when they're leaving keys for themselves, because they're like, oh, yeah, we need keys to break them out. Okay, let's remember to go back and leave them here so that we can (laughs) use them. And then they're there. And then they put the trash can to fall on his dad so that they can break the guys out of jail. So there's some of that going on in that movie as well. Um, And then, Josh, you had an example, too. The Dragonlance Legends trilogy. So Dragonlance is a massive, massive fantasy series, uh, some of which is really good and some of which is really bad. But the Dragonlance Legends trilogy is, I think, pretty well regarded as like the best of that series. And that whole trilogy um, centers around a sort of closed loop time thing, except that the the whole idea is that uh, the the kind of the character that we're following in that story goes back and doesn't, he he thinks he's going to be able to change everything. And as it unfolds, you're realizing the things that he thinks are changing have just been misinterpreted and he, it's completely closed off. So it still ends, ends up not changing anything. And it's sort of brilliantly done and, and a really fun, really fun series that does the same kind of thing as this chapter. Awesome. And I also want to highly recommend this YouTube video for everyone to watch that's interested in time travel and fiction. Um, it's by the channel Minute Physics, all one word. And the title of the video, so you can probably just search for this, is Time Travel in Fiction Rundown. And it talks... You know what? What was that? What was that? I, I saw this video mm-hmm. and I, God, I disagree with some of this stuff. Really? Yeah, he he does really really good work at um like doing a schematic like a visual graph of the way time travel works in certain properties, but he gets certain things wrong, I think. I think his Back to the Future and I honestly think his Harry Potter one is not 100% accurate. Well, you don't think Harry Potter is closed loop anymore, do you? Uh, yeah, I do. Oh, you do. Okay. I wasn't sure yeah, if we still but, on that. But yeah, it's it's certainly uh I watched this video right when it was posted. It's only a couple weeks old. Now it's got like two million views, so that shows what I know. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, everybody at home, feel free to treat this like it's 100%. But I'm a little still skeptical about certain properties, but in general, the video is a good overview of different things different people have done with time travel and fiction. Yeah, I'm a very visual learner, I think. So when I was able to see the graphs he drew and the circles and the slashes and all, yeah, to me it was helpful. But yeah, it may not be for everyone. I just had, I just had an interesting thought. Um, sorry, this is gonna be a Game of Thrones spoiler, so skip ahead a couple minutes if you don't want to be spoiled on Game of Thrones. Eric, I think you, uh, can correct me if I'm wrong about this, but is, is Hodor a closed loop time travel situation? Oh, uh, yes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I would, I would agree. Sorry, we're just talking about pop culture references and that came to mind. Anyway. Yeah, you're actually right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the powers that be. Yeah, basically it's all we're, all we're doing. The way it's described in this video too is, is actually very smart, which is that it's causality, but we're viewing the result before, like chronologically before the cause. And that's, that's a big thing in time travel. So, you know, the effect can happen before the cause is basically just, that's just time oh, travel. Oh, that's so weird. And so time travel in a, co- in a closed loop. Yeah. So the effect of Harry going back in time was that he could cast the Patronus in this chapter to save his self. I was going to say past self, but it's his future self, but it's his past self. Anyway, <laughs> the effect happens before the cause. Yes. <laughs> oh, listeners, we're going to talk ourselves in a circle here. <laughs> Let's not do that. And real quick, I just want to touch on Cursed Child because Josh has not read it, you guys. I confirmed this I with him. Don't, no dude. Don't. Uh, it will be read at some point, despite what Katie has told me about it. <laughs> uh, I do plan on reading. It hasn't happened yet. There is no audio version, and I've been kind of holding off until I can read it in Braille because reading with the computer voice on the computer is not particularly fun for is fiction. There's still no Braille version. Uh, there is no Braille version uh, that I have ever been able to find. Oh, uh, oh, I'm, I'm waiting for a Braille display, which is a piece of technology. You can connect your computer and it mechanically makes dots so you can read things. They're very expensive. There's a cheaper Whoa. one coming out. So I'm waiting for that to read Chris Child. And I wanted to read the Fantastic Beast script as well that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, really wish there were audiobooks for those. It's uh, really surprising to me that they haven't come out with Braille versions of those because... Um, I, I thought I had heard that the Braille versions of the Harry Potter books came out when the regular ones did. Yeah, they they do. In fact, uh, I, my wife and I have the first four books in Braille. Um, but uh, And we have uh, the Tales of Beetle the Bard, Quidditch Through the Ages, and Fantastic Beasts were all available in Braille as well. But the wow. Cur- Cursed Child and uh, Fantastic Beasts, neither one was uh, produced in Braille. I mean, I think some of that is because the electronic versions do exist now, which is fine. But I would mm. much rather read them with some sort of Braille format, uh, with a Braille display, than than having to listen to the computer's text-to-speech uh, yeah. drone it out because it's fiction and it's hard to read fiction that way. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> and with Fantastic Beasts, I know some movies will have like another track that describes the action going on. Do they have that for that movie? Uh, I believe they do. They did in the theater anyway. I think the uh, DVD slash digital releases have it as well. 
Okay. Is that called like descriptive audio? Descriptive audio or uh, descriptive video, depending. It's the same thing either way. Oh, yeah. yeah. Gotcha. That's Okay, neat. then. Oh. I won't ruin Cursed Child for you since you're going to read it someday. Nothing can ruin Cursed Child for you except Cursed Child. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, dude. It's not very good. You were warned. <laughs> He's been warned multiple times. But it, it's still something... It, yeah, I'm not like sorry I read it because I want to know all the things so that I'm educated and can, you know, intelligently have conversations about such things, even if I hate them. Um, so, I, yeah, I still recommend everyone should read it at least once, even if you're probably going to despise it. And you might not. You might love it. Who knows? Sorry, Allison. But- <laughs> I will just say that the time travel in that is completely different from Prisoner of Azkaban, and I'll leave it at that. Yeah. That's unfortunate. It Although is. not entirely surprising, based on yeah. all the other things that it breaks. <laughs> True that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so something happy that I had to throw in. Um, I just had to point out that Buckbeak loves Hagrid so much. Like, yes. just as much as Hagrid loves him, and it's the sweetest thing. The whole time I was reading this, and every time Hagrid's around and Beaky's trying to get back to him, it just broke my heart. Oh. It's true. I never noticed that before as much as I did this time. Mm-hmm. It it breaks my heart. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's real special. Do we know so. if Hagrid ever gets to see him again? Yes. Yeah, he comes back as... Wither wings? Wither wings, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Duh, obviously. I, I've got to say, I, I think of all of the sort of, like, non-verbal, in air quotes, uh, characters in, in Harry Potter, like the the various animals, Crookshanks and Scabbers and Hedwig and whatever. Hedwig? I think Buckbeak has got more personality than any of the other ones throughout the, the series when we see him. Yeah, I would agree. Hed- Hedwig is Hedwig is very close. Very close, um, yes. Because we see we see more of Hedwig, kind of. Um, but yeah, Buckbeak digging his talons in, not wanting to go, mm-hmm. kind of. You know, it's almost infuriating. It, it builds such good suspense when Harry's trying to pull Buckbeak into the forest, and Buckbeak doesn't af- like really go, and then he slowly goes, and Harry's like heaving, and then he goes a little bit faster, but they haven't quite cleared the trees. It's really suspenseful. Yes, it's perfect. <laughs> so perfect. I'm surprised, honestly, they were able to hold him back from getting to Hagrid later on. Because yeah, hippogriffs yeah. are strong animals, so good on them. Maybe he, he could just sense that it was really important that he not be seen at that, at that time. I don't know. Also, nobody had to bow to Buckbeak this time. No, I think Harry to... No, Harry did. Yeah, yeah. Harry does. Briefly. Harry does. Oh, he does? Yeah, yeah. when he goes and ties him from the fence. Uh, okay. And they already know each other, so it's a quick bow, and okay, yeah, you're fine. I know you already. <laughs> These days, it's just, you know, a fist bump. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, uh, Hermione doesn't have to, and Sirius doesn't have to before they get on on, on his back. Yeah. Um, but I guess at that point, Harry's there, so he's like, okay, well, if they're cool with Harry, then they're cool with me. Yeah, and I always kind of took it, especially in the case of Sirius, is it's like he's not facing him like head on or whatever. So, because like mm-hmm. Buckbeak is like uh, next to the wall, right, and mm-hmm. uh, not not looking straight in the window, right? Yeah. Sirius isn't climbing onto him over the top of 
Buckbeak's head, right? So it's like, yeah. there's, I don't think there's really a need to bow because it's uh, it's off to the side. Buckbeak's not going to be like, wait, who the <laughs> is this guy? Yeah. You know. I feel like when they land and he gets off, does he have to like bow to him then? <laughs> <laughs> They've been flying for three hours. Yeah. And he gets off and Buckbeak's like, wait a minute, who are you? <laughs> Hysterical. The same patron who had that question for us a moment ago, Marguerite, um, she also pointed out that there's a link between the stag in mythology and Harry, um, which I had never heard of before. So I did just a quick look up of uh, the white stag in particular and found a few points that did actually seem pretty appropriate in relation to Harry. Um, White deer hold a place in mythology of many cultures. The Celtic people consider them to be messenger messengers from the other world, which I Ooh. thought was really interesting. Um, Arthur- Arthurian, ugh, can't say that word. Arthurian legend states that the creature has a perennial ability to evade capture, and that the pursuit of the animal represents mankind's spiritual quest. Both of which are like, oh my god! Like, how many times does Harry escape Voldemort? <laughs> He's so hard. To oh catch. yeah. But even in context of this chapter, Harry being connected with his father's spirit, mm. um, and he, even the idea that a Patronus that represents you would be his father's animagus form is very much otherworldly and spiritual. Yeah. Like, coming to terms with your deceased father, if it had been Prongs or, or James in any way, would have fit this very, very well. Very true. And last point I found was it also signaled that the time was nigh for the Knights of the Kingdom to pursue a quest, which is what happens going forward. You know, once Voldemort gets his body back or starts getting his body back, whatever, et cetera, et cetera. It's go time. It is. It totally is after the end of this book. So I thought all of that was really interesting. And if any of you listeners know more about this than what I just read off and can educate us, please do, because I'm sure there's more that I did not find. This was just a really quick cursory search, but... Marguerite, that was really cool. Yeah, thanks, Marguerite. That's awesome, awesome information. And do y'all have anything to say before I go into this moon thing? (laughs) (laughs) I had way too much fun with this, you guys. Um, What moon thing? Okay, okay. Two things. One's just a science-y thing, because I like to teach you guys things that I have taught myself. Like, I didn't... I always get moon cycles and all of that confused. So I just sat down with my husband. I'm like, explain it to me again. <laughs> and I'm going to teach them. It's a quick thing. But before I get to that, um, I realized that Joe was not writing the books to occur on particular dates or in particular years. Um, and it wasn't until fans did the math on Nearly Headless Nick's death day party that we figured out the timeline of the series at all. Um, but I just wanted to point out that on June 6th, 1994, when the events of this night take place, the moon was not full. Far from it, it was four days away from a new moon. (laughs) Um, And also, just because the sun goes down does not mean you'll be able to see the moon, whether there's clouds or not, because, um, especially on that date, the moon actually set at 7.02pm before it even got dark, because sunset was at 9.52pm. So... That's just... I'm blaming Hermione's time turner. <laughs> she messed if up. If they can everything. make a four-hour-long Wednesday, then she can affect the duration of the moon. Ooh, I like it. I like it. Cycle. Yep. Nobody yeah. noticed that an extra few days happened within that school year, but 
They totally did to to offset that. <laughs> yeah, we all, all right, know so that. I want to I want to nitpick a little bit because uh, we we went back and forth a little bit in the email. I I actually do think she she at least to some degree intended these to be those years because the the dates for specifically 1991, not 1981, uh, but 1991 in the first book do match up with the correct days of the week for 1991. Um, after that, the years get screwy. But um, I I think that I think that was intended. I think she was just a little bit lazy with marking out the days of the week after that. So I, I do think it was intended. Um, she did later on uh de definitively codify it right because we get the the dates on uh lily and james's uh grave yeah but by book seven it had been decided but i right. i never felt that she was intending um specific days of the week versus dates but so I, do you think I it was, was one of the coincidence that it worked out that way in the first book but it's only for that one year, because like you said, if yeah, if it's only it's for that wrong. one year, like I'm inclined to say whatever works the, the most times, I want to say is like the thing definitely by book seven, it was JK Rowling was the first person to say, I don't do math or, you know, anything like that. But yeah, I, I, all I'll say is me personally, my gut feeling was I would have liked the books to be timeless, um, not set in any specific year. I realize why the props department, when they see a tombstone, have to put a darn year down, and, you know, it gets crazy. <laughs> Gotta put a year down. I get it. I understand the urge. But me, personally, I was one of the last fans to subscribe to that from from Harry Potter. Gotcha. But, you know, pick your pick your poison. There's no right or wrong. I'm pretty sure the right answer is, yes, the dates are the way that she said they are. Yeah. The only the only other thing that also uh, messes up the timeline again, we can blame Hermione's time turner, uh, and I can't believe I'm done. I'm such a nerd. Uh, I mean, I'm among nerds, and that's good. So this works. Yes. But oh man, uh, I remember working it out and figuring out that in uh, I believe in Prisoner of Azkaban at the beginning of it, uh, Harry mentions uh, Dudley playing Mega Mutilation Three on his PlayStation. And, yeah. and this is like this, that time, that moment when he thinks that is something like uh, 10 or 11 months before the first PlayStation was actually released. So yes. yeah, <laughs> doesn't quite, doesn't quite work out. Not quite. So close, Joe. So close. Um, yep. She hates when you point that out, <laughs> that out too. She absolutely so. hates when you, so if you ever want to get blocked by her on Twitter, just tweet at her. <laughs> Hey, did you know the PlayStation wasn't out yet when you read the PlayStation? Yeah. <laughs> so many of my accounts have been blocked because I just tweet that at her all the day. <laughs> Every day. That's your version of his lavender dead or alive. <laughs> yeah. I really want you to know the PlayStation wasn't around yet, Joe. No, but that is very impressive uh, detective work there, sir. It is. Uh, I, more <laughs> embarrassing to admit, I think, than impressive, but yes. It's fun. <laughs> it's fun. It is fun. We always do this yeah. stuff. It's great. Yeah, there should be there should be a mini game though, where you can play Mega Mutilation 3. I, now now that that's, <laughs> you know, in a, in, a, in a future Harry Potter game, that should be a thing. It should. That's amazing. I love it. It's like a little side quest. You go into Dursley's <laughs> house. Yeah, absolutely. Find his yeah. computer. It's canon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the moon got brought up on episode 33 because they were wondering like why Lupin didn't change until the clouds parted and he actually saw the moon because surely he doesn't have to see the moon to turn into a werewolf. Oh man. Um, but I think they've 
in the next episode in the recap they were like yeah he changes anyway it doesn't matter if there are clouds covering it or not it's just it was nice for the plot for it to just show itself and dun 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 things happen um but even if he had been still inside the castle in a windowless room he would have changed if he had not taken the potion or even if he had taken he would have changed he would have just kept his mind sorry you know what i mean um yeah, that's why this got brought up and got me curious about if it was actually the full moon on that day, etc., etc. And then just to teach you guys about moon cycles. There are 13 moon cycles in a year. It takes 28 days for the moon to orbit the Earth. So it's only moving in its orbit about 6 degrees each day. Moonrise and moonset depend on location and time of year, just like sunrise and sunset do. And the moon sometimes rises and sets during daylight hours. I'm sure... All of you have looked in the sky at some point during the day and have been like, oh, there's the moon. That's cool. And then th at night you, you can't see it. Like, Yeah, that's the extent that I've ever given, like, the thought that I've ever, like, <laughs> yeah, I, I have seen the moon during the day. This is blowing my mind that there's a moonrise and a moonset. Yes, I taught somebody something. Woo! No, I literally did not care. Not that I didn't care, but I never thought to think about it until a few years ago. Um I think this is around the same time that my dog passed away and I was out at night and then noticing the stars. And then I would notice that the moon was not always at the same place every night or at the same time. And I asked my husband, I'm just like, why is the moon here one night? And then a few nights later, it's there. I don't get it. It's the same time. And then he explained all of this. And I'm like, oh, that makes a lot more sense. <laughs> so there you go. It does not follow the 12 month calendar. It is actually like a 13 month calendar for the moon each year. You know, I actually just watched that Doctor Who episode with the moon. You know which one? Yes. With Peter Capaldi and the moon. Oh, that's Doctor not the one Who. I was thinking of. Oh, yeah. I think it's called Kill the Moon, but um, it's pretty good. Awesome. Just watched that last night. It's super funny that <laughs> you, mentioned, uh, you mentioned the moon not being in the same place. That reminded me right of that. <laughs> there you go. There's Katie's... Ravenclaw teaching class for the day. <laughs> Thanks, Katie. Thanks, Professor. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> there will be a test later. Take notes. No, I'm oh, gosh. <laughs> well, Beth, I want to hear these these last few points that you had. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to bring up that I thought it was interesting that all they have to do is use Alohomora to rescue Sirius. But, you know, they didn't secure Flitwick's office anymore than... I guess, usual. Um, did they just think that master escape artist Sirius Black couldn't get out of a <laughs> window locked with a Lohomora? I don't know. That's, I guess that's a fair point. Uh... It's a seventh floor, and he doesn't have a wand, so I guess they figured it was safe, but... Yeah. But it was a good point. He did just, he did just break out of Azkaban. Uh, yeah, he broke out yeah. of Azkaban, which was thought to be impossible. So... At least in the movies, they, like, made it slightly more difficult for them to get him out. Is there bars or whatever? Yeah, yeah. they use, like, Bombarda or something to get him out. Mm -hmm. But yeah, this is just a little more. It's very anticlimactic, in my opinion. You know what it is, is um, if you were to cast a little from the inside, it wouldn't have worked. But if you ah. cast it from the outside, <laughs> it would be fine. Maybe. That's, like that that's Dumbledore, right? Just going, like... You know, oh, yes. we're just gonna use a basic Sometimes lock I surprise even myself, yes. <laughs> I'm so brilliant, Harry, yes. 
That's you know, all they really needed to do was smuggle Hermione's time turner to Sirius. He could have flipped it over three times and been in the entrance hall and walked out the front doors. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's so Good point. <laughs> it would have been so much simpler. <laughs> but you know, Sirius would never have been able to not mess with time. He's so reckless. He would have gone after Peter. He <laughs> would have true. done something to change oh, things. Yeah. But I like that. I like that a lot. Actually. <laughs> um, also, the the second thing I noticed that is significantly different from the movie is that um, in the movie, Harry and Sirius get a nice long heart to heart right before Sirius flies away. And I was struck rereading the chapter this time how little interaction they get before Sirius escapes. It's like a Hey, thanks for rescuing me. Hurry up. Gotta go. Bye. Um, yeah. And so we don't get any of that mushy goodness of of I, I am in your heart. That said, there's something to be, I think, quite moved by the, the quickness of, you know, and the, the of the interaction here. Harry and Sirius communicate exactly as much as they need to. Sirius pays the compliment. You're definitely your father's son. And then he's off because he has to be because time is against them. One thing that happens in the book that doesn't happen in the movie is, you know, the letter that he writes mm-hmm. the very next yeah. day on the, on the Hogwarts Express. And, you know, that I think serves as sort of your alternate closure to Harry since they, they don't have that conversation that they're able to have, um, because of the freeze frame. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think getting it through the letter is really interesting because. Um, Harry can sort of reread it multiple times and has it to sit with and process, um, yeah. which is really nice. And they just cut pig, put cut pig. <laughs> I'm totally getting my words scrambled. They totally cut pigwidgeon from the movies completely, and that makes me so sad. I know, so sad. And yeah. the ending of that with him flying off on the broom, ugh. So cheesy. God. (laughs) But that's after this chapter anyway. Next on Alohomora, bashing Prisoner of Azkaban the movie. (laughs) Sorry, Michael. I've hit my quota of doing that, I think, for a lifetime, so. (laughs) I'm actually surprised. I haven't seen the Azkaban movie in a long, long time. I think it's my least favorite of the movies, actually. I used to not be able to stand it, and... Lately, every time I rewatch it, I appreciate it more and more. So I don't know what it is about it, but I, I guess I, I have forgiven it for all of its differences from the books and just let it be what it is. Yeah. Yeah, I can do that with pretty much all the rest of them. I don't, <laughs> I don't like Half Blood Prince all that much either as a film. Um, but, uh, but, and, and I, but the changes in the other movies don't bother me nearly as much as, uh, as Azkaban. Yeah. Because of all the Marauders stuff that gets cut, probably. That's just a heinous, heinous crime to have cut all yep. of that from that movie. <laughs> yep. I think it's a mis- misunderstanding of what the book is about. Yeah. Yep. Harry finding love in, in his, and family in places when he didn't, where he didn't know it. And not how weird the world is. <laughs> I, I think book six or uh, movie six suffers from the same problem. Like they missed the mark of the important parts of that book. I think. 
I think that's probable. Okay, so for our podcast question of the week this week, we are going to ask you about Madame Pomfrey, our favorite healer, nurse, doctor, whatever she is. Patron of Hogwarts. Uh, We would like your opinion. Is she a one-note character? Is it a problem? Like, is there not enough to her? We we just want to hear what you think about her as a person, as a character, um, the examples we see in the series... Yeah, should there be more to her than there is? Or do you think she is just as she should be? And if you would like to hear us discuss this topic, go on over to our Patreon, and we will be posting a little bit of a clip for you guys. And I also want to thank our guest, Josh, for coming on the show. Josh, you were awesome. You brought so many great points to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. This was a ton of fun. Yay! I'm so glad you had fun. I had fun having you here. I haven't podcasted was... with you in so long. <laughs> you guys got to bring back the She-Ra podcast. We do. We really do. I, yep, we got to get our fearless leader on board with uh, yep. with doing that. It's all John's fault. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and also, Josh, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you online? Because you've got several projects that you work on and they might want to look you up. Uh, well, uh, you can find me on Twitter. I am at LionCourt, L-I-O-N-C-O-U-R-T on Twitter. Uh, I have a blog that I almost never write on at LionCourt.com. And as I mentioned earlier, I do a lot of writing. So if you just search for Josh to LionCourt on Amazon or Audible, you will find my novel. And on the Kindle, there is a companion short story that goes along with it. The book is called Haven Lost, and it is the first volume and a fantasy series, and I am in the midst of writing book two as we speak. That's this awesome. This one is really good. <laughs> All right. Ooh. Have to put a plug out there. I loved it. <laughs> That's awesome. I will definitely be checking it out. Uh, it's it's darker uh, in some ways than Harry Potter, so be aware. Not for not for children. So be Ooh. be aware of that. But uh, and if you do like it, leave a review. If you don't. Then probably don't leave a review. <laughs> <laughs> That's how that works. Um, well, for Aloha More listeners, time to give you a preview of our next episode topic. It's going to be on the one, the only Miss Ginny Weasley. Another. Another. <laughs> Door smash. Yes. I assume book Ginny and not movie Ginny, although maybe both. Probably. Uh, both. If we do the thing properly. But uh, yes, Ginny Weasley. The only Weasley girl. Uh, so definitely tune in uh, for that episode and send us your thoughts uh, on her uh, in advance. And definitely once the episode airs, give it a listen. And um, if you become a patron, you may be able to sponsor that episode, as we mentioned before. Indeed. And if you would like to be on the show, just like Josh was, what you can do is go to alohamora.mugglenet.com. You can do two things. You can click on the topic submit page and suggest your own topic. If it's one we have not discussed yet um, and that we have not said we are going to be doing soon. And you can say, yes, you do want to be the guest on that topic. Or you can say, no, I want to hear other people talk about it. Or you can click on the be on the show toggle or button or whatever. And you can actually choose one of the upcoming topics and fill out, you know, what your thoughts are about that topic 
and then email us an audio clip little audition so we can make sure that your audio equipment is um, compatible with our format with our show and you can be on the show as well you don't need anything fancy you just need headphones and a microphone um, but we just need that audition to make sure we can get you sounding as good as possible to uh, to go on the show yeah and you can get in touch with us in a variety of ways. You can follow us on Twitter at AlohomoraMN um, and keep an eye out for our polls on there as well for when we're deciding what topics to talk about. Um, then we have Facebook.com slash Open the Dumbledore. We have our website, alohomora.mugglenet.com. We have our YouTube at youtube.com slash alohomoramn. And as always, you can email us at alohomorapodcast at gmail.com. We mentioned our Patreon. We want to thank once again Nicola Poplowski for sponsoring this episode. And here's the address that I teased earlier. It's patreon.com slash alohomora. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash a-l-o-h-o-m-o-r-a. You can sponsor us for as low as $1 a month, gain access to exclusive conversations that we only share with our patrons, and you get the password to join Dumbledore's office, which is our exclusive Facebook group, as well as other benefits. And I promise the password isn't 1234, so don't <laughs> You guys, it's not 1234, is it? Become our patron and get the secret password. And I also wanted to mention we have an internship opening for the show. We are on the lookout Ooh. for another one or two individuals to join our team as audio editors. So if you have any experience in this field and are interested in becoming an intern, please visit the following page, uh, see if you meet the requirements, and if so, send in your application. The address for that page is mugglenet.com site slash internships don't miss or this just... exclusive opportunity to edit out all of our coughs and things <laughs> and mistakes exclusive and... opportunity <laughs> to hear our horrible horrible ma- ma- mix-ups mash-up whatever like i just did takes. i can't Slip even get the word out yeah all those you, you get to hear all of that beforehand and laugh at us and make fun of us and we won't get mad at you for it it's all good so you should totally check that out and it um, yeah, even if you just go to mugglenet.com and search for internship, I think on the search bar, it'll take you to that page. So not hard to find. You guys, I think we should talk about this chapter in another 200 episodes. <laughs> I'm so down. <laughs> See how we feel about it. We've closed the time loop now. <laughs> no, it has to happen because it already has. Yeah, exactly. I saw myself cast the Patronus before, but I thought it was my dad. <laughs> now it's time to cast the Patronus this time. Um, anyway, I'm Eric. I'm Beth. And I'm Katie. Thank you for listening to episode 233 of Aloha Mora. Open the Dumbledore again and again and again and again. But I could do it because I realized that I already had 
Does that make sense? No, I don't know. <laughs>